Welcome to the Business for Good podcast, a show where we spotlight companies making money by making the world a better place. I'm your host, Paul Shapiro, and if you share a passion for using commerce to solve many of the world's most pressing problems, then this is the show for you. Welcome, friends, to the 53rd episode of the Business for Good podcast. If you haven't yet listened to the last episode with Aaron Brantley on election security, I highly recommend it, given the extremely strange times that we are living in. Yes, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris won the election, but with a president who is trying to cast doubt on the ballots casted without providing any evidence of any fraud whatsoever, the last episode will help you understand more about how ballots are counted and how protected our electoral system actually is. But another about the last episode, because just like the nation is moving on to a new administration, we are moving on to a new topic. Yet, that topic is actually not all that new for regular listeners of the show, because this episode, we will be talking all about sustainable protein. However, Normally, when you think about alternatives to animal protein, you may think about soy or wheat or pea. That's pretty much what nearly all the plant-based meats are made out of for the most part. But Arbium is a startup that has raised nearly $30 million so far to make alt-protein from wood. You heard that right, my friend. Our guest on this episode, RBM CEO Mark Chevrel, is taking wood and subjecting it to a yeast-based fermentation that allows him to, within just one week, produce a high-protein food which can be used both for human and animal purposes. Think about just how long it takes to raise an animal for food, yet Mark harvests his protein in just one week. Right now, Billions of wild fish are killed and fed to farmed fish, farmed land animals like pigs, and to our pets in their dog and cat food. But what if Mark's yeast could replace the need for all those fish to be taken from the sea? Even more, he's turned his wood-fed yeast into plant-based meat, which he asserts is quite tasty and he says also quite affordable. So is wood-fed yeast the future of sustainable protein? Mark Chevrel certainly thinks so, and I'll let him tell you why. Mark Chevrel, welcome to the Business for Good podcast. Good to hear you. Thank you. Yeah, really glad to be talking with you. I've been reading a lot about your company and glad to have you on the show. Um, you are doing something, Mark, that is really fascinating. Uh, many people are trying to figure out all these types of ways of making protein um, and doing cool things with protein from things like peas or wheat or soy. But you talk about walking through a forest and being inspired by seeing a mushroom on a decaying piece of wood. What's inspirational about that to you and what's it relevant to, why is that relevant to what you're doing at RBM? Wood is usually not thought of as material for, for food. It doesn't belong to the food chain. And, but that's true that if you walk through a forest, we'll see mushrooms growing on, uh, on trees and, uh, and actually dead trees are live trees. And, and wood can be a very good substrate uh, to, to grow all kinds of food, and uh, that's what the inspiration came from, you know, to do that, but I would say at large scale, and uh, to make wood, today a non-food plant, uh, go into the food chain. And since food is so uh, abundant over the world, and basically everywhere uh, on the world, it's, it's a great way to, to be able to offer feed and food solutions everywhere in the world. So when did this idea come to you, Mark, that you might be able to use wood as some type of a substrate eventually to just grow protein that would be edible by humans and, and by animals as well? When did, when did you start thinking about this? Well, 
At Arbium, we we started working, you know, on the wood fractionation uh, business, trying to make uh, things out of wood. This grain bioeconomy of the uh, 2010s. At some point, we realized that it was really important to focus on application as well. Instead of going, you know, into the uh, biochemicals, where you need some kind of uh, of purity and which can be costly and uh, and difficult, we said, well, actually, we're coming from the biological space. Let, let's stay in the biological space and just use the the wood for feed and food applications. That's how we, we decided you know, to focus on this coming from the, uh, I would say, from, from the wood fractionation world. So what was your background that you were interested in wood fractionation in the first place, Mark? Personally, I'm an engineer by training. I worked first in the energy fields, something where uh, it was different since it's well, a nuclear field. But I was also interested in all kinds of uh, of ways of ma- making energy, and uh, and wood was also a part of this. Where I started also getting interested in, you know, how can you um, make some energy, either electricity or fuels from uh, from biomass. And we were just well, looking at this, uh, I would say, from um, just because I wanted to to understand how, how it worked. And at some point, I had the opportunity, you know, to to work for Arbium, I discovered the, this company, and I said, well, that's exactly the kind of thing that's um, interesting in, you know, uh, using uh, wood, which is so readily uh, available on, on Earth to do something very useful. Okay, so uh, Mark, let's chat about what you're actually doing with this wood then, because, you know, some people who hear this, they think, oh, like wood-based food, what are you doing to make the wood edible? But that's not really what you're doing, right? We're not eating wood if we start to eat RBM products. Tell us, what are you doing? So you, you get some wood, and then what happens next? Well, that's exactly what the, I would say what the mushrooms are, are doing. You know, we, we, we take the wood, and that will be the, the raw material, and we're going to uh, break it down in small pieces, we're going to hydrolyze the wood, if we talk uh, technically. And the substrate we, uh, we get coming from the cellulose and the hemicellulose of the, of the wood, that's what we're going then to use to grow our microorganisms. Right now, we're using a yeast, but other microorganisms can be, um, uh, can be contemplated as well. And so we grow the yeast on our woody substrates. At the end, we collect, we dry, and that's our uh, product. So People are not eating wood, uh, as you said, but they're eating yeast fed on wood. And so the idea is that you can do this more cheaply than if you were buying conventional substrates for the yeast. Is that right? Yes, that's the idea. But it's also mostly the uh, the sustainability aspect that's driving us here. So, so tell me more about that, Mark, because you know, to the average person, they hear, okay, you're going to go feed wood to yeast. It doesn't sound that sustainable, right? It sounds like you're going out and cutting down a bunch of trees so that you can make yeast. Uh, but what are you actually doing? When you're in the, in the business of exploiting wood, you'll do that sustainably. You know, if you, you don't want to cull wood and then end up with, uh, with nothing, um, it's actually usually the, uh, you're going to deforest an area for uh, crop culture or for Raising land, if you want to uh, exploit the wood, you want to have a forest and to replace the forest by, by, by new trees. Uh, so that's what happens usually when you're, um, you're exploiting wood. That's uh, the, the pulp and paper industry has been doing for uh, decades. So you can uh, absolutely use wood in a sustainable uh, way and actually make the forest grow thanks to, to your actions. You're actually going to replace 
some, uh, with our technology, I would say some uh, crop ingredients with uh, ingredients coming from, from wood, so coming from forests. And so are you using trees that have been cut down for this purpose or are you using like the waste products from paper milling and the pulp there? Like what type of wood are you feeding to these yeast? So we can basically use any kind of, uh, of wood uh, that's available. Our goal is to use mainly wood that's already available and typically from sawmills. So they will have a lot of sawdust or um, other wood products that they usually burn after in the process. And here we offer, I would say, a better uh, valorization of this wood. But it will always depend on, uh, you know, where you are, where you stand, what is your supply uh, available. When you install an album plant somewhere, one of the first things to do is to see what kind of wood supply do you have around and what is, what is available, what makes sense to use. Okay. So tell me, Mark, does it matter? I mean, you said you can use pretty much any microorganism or are you using a specific kind of yeast? Is this a genetically engineered strain of yeast that you're using? So no, we really don't want to have genetically engineered yeast. So what we've done is we have a proprietary yeast that we've evolved, I would say, naturally by doing several, I would say, iterations in, with the different substrates. And that's also a way for us to, to, to be sure that our product can be sold in all markets. Because you know that GMOs has different receptions, let's call it that way, in, in different countries. And uh, in our case, we, we want to, um, to have a natural product. So tell me about the yeast then, because you know, the wood seems to be like the headline, right? That you're using wood to create protein that's edible, but the protein is yeast. Um, how much protein is in the yeast and what type of amino acid profile is there? And how does that compare to some of the proteins that we're using right now for human food, like I was mentioning, like soy or wheat or pea? We have a typically uh, 55 to 60 uh, protein content, crude protein in our, uh, uh, in our product, which compares favorably to soybean meal, which is the, the I would say, the, the ubiquitous and the typical protein ingredient you will find on the, on the market. And yeast being part of the kingdom of mushroom, it's not uh, an animal, it's not a plant, it's its, it's own, I would say, uh, kingdom. And the amino acid profile is actually intermediate that way between what you would find in soybean meal and what you would find in um, in fish meal, which is usually, usually considered as the reference in terms of quality for feed applications. Okay, so what are you doing with it, with it then, Mark? So have you started selling this product already? So we're uh, in the process of getting uh, customer. We're in the middle of our um, demonstration program where we're going to show that technically our product can be scaled up in uh, industrial facilities uh, before building our first uh, commercial plant, but also uh, validating commercially the product with uh, potential customers. What we've done is uh, a whole range of um, uh, animal trials with fish, uh, pets, uh, swine, which are the, the three markets we're targeting first. And they've shown that our product has a great uh, digestibility, can replace without any problem, uh, you know, the traditional protein sources, and that is perfectly safe to, uh, to use. So we, we really hope that in the next, just say, 12 months, we'll have also customer trials that will then be the first uh, stepping stone to have 
to have contracts for our commercial facility. Okay. And where will that commercial facility be located? We'll be opportunistic, I will say. As a startup, funding will be uh, very important. So if there are some, uh, depending on where we'll find subsidies, that could be uh, interesting. But to looking really where we're based right now, so it's North America and, and Europe, which would be the, uh, the two locations we're considering right now. So, Mark, let's talk about the sustainability aspect, not just of your feedstock for your yeast then, but also for what you are replacing. Because, you know, right now, if you uh, look, for example, you mentioned dog food, there is an enormity of meat and other animal products that go into dog food. And it's not really much of a secret anymore that um, using animal protein compared to non-animal proteins, it just takes a lot of land, a lot of water, a lot of greenhouse gas emissions, pandemic risk amplification, um, and other uh, concerns relating to animal cruelty and so on. Uh, but you're talking about creating a basically a dried yeast product that's very high in protein that you say is comparable to certain types of the gold standards for protein digestibility, and that could be used as a primary ingredient for dog food. So tell me, is that part of your goal here to try to displace some of the animal protein that is in the food that's going, whether that's to dogs or to other animals? Absolutely. And here will, obviously, you know, the, the market will decide and, and the customers will decide that you really think that we have with our product, a sustainable product that can replace not only the soybean meal, which is questionable also for because of deforestation you talked about, etc. But also some of the uh, animal proteins, be it the, the fish meal or you know chicken meal or other other uh, animal protein that are being used right now for animals. Yeah, because e even if you look at like aquaculture, right, the amount of fish who are caught from the wild to feed these fish uh, who are captive is pretty enormous, right? And so are you suggesting that your yeast could be used as a either a supplement or even a total replacement for those wild-caught fish? Yeah, ab absolutely. That's really our goal. And, uh, and I would say we're lucky that this goal is shared by our customers. Uh, our customers are well aware that their current use of protein fish meal and soybean meal is not sustainable. So they're really looking for alternatives. They're really excited when you talk to them about, you know, this uh, uh, wood-to-food protein that we're proposing. That's really, really interesting. So the thing that really caught my eye though, Mark, was not even the possibility of using your... Um, your wood to food protein for feeding animals. But I know that you recently did some experiments with actually putting it through an extrusion machine to texturize it and see how it might work in terms of plant-based meat. So, you know, for those who aren't familiar, if you, if you look at nearly all of the plant-based meat that is sold, uh, it's coming from either soy, wheat, or pea, or maybe some combination thereof of those. Now, we've had on the show uh, in the past people like Kimberly Lee who are making plant-based meat not out of plants at all, actually, but out of fungi using uh, aspergillus or sometimes known as koji to make meat. But Mark, you're talking about something altogether new by using this type of a yeast to make a plant-based meat. So how did that go when you extruded it? And how soon before you think there, this might be an actual ingredient that plant-based meat makers can utilize? Good question. So it, it, it did very well. We did that and in February, so we we're quite lucky to do it, you know, before COVID nineteen would would strike and uh, other things had to, to to shut down. And uh, it was a, a proof of concept, and we we were able to, to taste ourselves the the product using a, a typical um, 
recipe where we replaced the soybean meal uh, with our product Silpro. And we had a, um, we, we give it a try. And uh, at our at Arbium, we, we all thought it was, uh, it was actually great. Now, it, it, we were not trying to have something especially tasty or, or anything. It does have a, a, a nice taste, uh, according to us. And we're really hoping that other companies, you know, much more in the, in the, um, in the business of doing uh, recipes for uh, end consumers will uh, now take Silpro and use it as a, one of their uh, base ingredients for new products. So what's the, I mean, if this isn't proprietary market, what's the doubling time for your yeast here? Like how soon can you grow um, the yeast from when you start the fermentation process to when you're harvesting it and, and having it ready for consumption? I wouldn't call that the, the doubling time, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, I realize that they're unrelated, that they are only related, but that they're not the same thing. But how fast can you do it is the real question. I would say between the the moment where you start with the with the wood, the, uh, let's say I'll call that I'll call it that way. You know, the travel time of the uh, molecule uh, to the product, starting from the wood to the dried product, we're talking about uh, typically seven to ten days. Um, now it's a continuous process at the end. You know. You have wood in, uh, products out, and it doesn't uh, it doesn't matter. But uh, but typically between the, the different operations that you have uh, to do, that's uh, what we're talking about. Right. So my, my point in asking this, Mark, is that if it's a week, right? So at most, it's going to take a week from beginning to end there. Uh, whereas if you're looking at, let's say, growing soybeans or growing wheat or growing peas, in which you're, you're talking, of course, about months or growing animals, which might be months or even years, I would imagine this is a pretty efficient process. And so how does that relate to the cost of the product? Like when your product, Mark, comes out, uh, are the makers of plant-based meats, for example, going to have a new protein that is actually cheaper than soy or pea protein? Well, soy is extremely cheap, and we could probably argue that probably uh, soy, uh, uh, soy crops are not you know, paying for the, all the externalities there. Right, uh, sure. Exactly. Uh, but no, our goal is really to be I would say, at par with, um, uh, with fish meal. Typically, so we're talking about uh, fifteen hundred dollars per ton uh, for uh, for feed uh, for feed application. If you're talking about food applications, the regulations being different, we are uh, might be a bit higher than that. And so, hey, hey Mark, sorry to interrupt you. Fifteen hundred U.S. dollars per ton. So that's still less than a dollar a pound, right? Well, you're losing me with the <laughs> with pounds. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but ju- but just to be clear, w- what you said was uh, fifteen hundred U.S. U.S. fifteen hundred dollars U.S. dollars per two thousand pounds, which is a, a, a ton. Yeah, that's that's still pretty cheap. No, that's uh, still pretty cheap, and I think that's also something that is a differentiator compared, you know, to other novel proteins. From what I uh, I've seen, they, they tend to to be in the Premium segment, if such a premium really exists, and for that, because it, it might be quite quite expensive, you know, to do the the whole uh, uh, the whole development, and really focus also on making sure that we can have something that's cheap enough in order to to conquer the market, because we're we are uh, aware that uh, in the end, price is a very important component for our customers. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's uh, obviously everybody cares about sustainability, but if it's not uh, price competitive, it's probably not going to be sustainable for them as a customer. So, um, have you, uh, Mark, tell me um, about your life cycle analysis then. So, you know, it'd be nice to actually prove with some type of a third party uh, life cycle analysis that this is actually more sustainable. So, tell me about that. 
We actually, in, uh, in the midst of our demonstration program, we have a, a funding with the European Union, and um, we're leading the consortium. I need this consortium, one company, so it's not Arbion, but one uh, company well-versed in uh, LCA, LCAs and LCA calculation is uh, studying this. They're still uh, doing that, but we had some uh, very encouraging uh, intermediate results, uh, I would say, showing that, uh, especially in terms of uh, CO2 emissions, our silver product um, and really cradle to um, to mill, you know, until you bring it to to the customers. That's actually very very well compared to the traditional sources of uh, of protein, especially uh, uh, especially soy. So we're very encouraged by that, and um, we we hope to have more specific data to show to our customers uh, to, in order to convince them that there's a real value also with uh, in terms of uh, environmental footprint. Okay, cool. So, Mark, you mentioned that you're not yet commercialized, but you also said that the company has been around now for uh, nearly a decade, right? So, how have you been funding this thing? Well, we're uh, very lucky. We are. Uh, we have a family. I would say let's call it a reunion of family offices that have been founding us uh, for some time, and they're they've been with us uh, all the way. Uh, it's been complemented by uh, by grants. It's a part of uh, I think every every startup, you know, to to find uh, grants, uh, subsidies, uh, all kind of uh, of help that they that they can have. Uh, but mostly, that's uh, uh, really our um, our shareholders who are behind us that will believe in what we're doing and they are supporting us. So, how much money have you raised so far? There have been uh, several. Um, we can say that in the last. Um, Three to four years, which are really when we've started to 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 focus on uh, this, we have been between twenty five and thirty million dollars. So a lot of money to bring in, um, and uh, I'll really be looking forward to trying some of that yeast when it comes out on on the market. I think it could really do a, a lot of good to spare a lot of animals and other resources from being utilized in the food system, both for humans and and for animals for sure. So. Mark, you have now been running this startup for years. Uh, you've raised tens of millions of dollars, as as you mentioned, and I'm sure you've learned a lot from this whole process. And I uh, really look forward to the time when your product actually hits the market. It would be really cool to see a new source of sustainable protein available for folks to be utilizing. But for other folks who maybe look at what you're doing and are inspired by it, are there any resources that you would recommend, Mark, that have been helpful for you along your own entrepreneurial journey that you would think, hey, check this out, it helped me? Honestly, for me, I think that would be, you know, curiosity and uh, something that's been invented, you know, in the last, last decade, the, the World Wide uh, Web has been an incredible resource, you know, just browsing and finding a lot of, of things that would uh, give me ideas left and right. I'm not necessarily, you know, going for some kind of a, um, of books or, or talks, etc., but I'm, I'm, quite, I'm very curious and I, uh, I like spending some time, you know, just research a thing that's not necessarily directly linked to, to what I'm doing, but that's really how I've, um, I've had some, uh, some of my uh, ideas and inspirations. So that's, uh, now I'm, I'm saying this would work for, for everybody, but that's uh, how I've done. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, we had a guest on the show one time who had uh, recommended YouTube as a uh, as the primary resource for doing research. So uh, everybody has what, what works for them. Uh, so finally, Mark, 
Um, are there any companies that you wish that somebody else would start? I'm sure you think about sustainability all the time and how technology can be used to solve some of the uh, sustainability problems that we as a species are facing. So you're doing what you're doing by taking, um, you know, wood products and converting them into sustainable protein for us. Are there other ideas that you wish somebody else might pick up and, and take the uh, baton with and start running? So something I'm, I'm really, really uh, uh, interested uh, in that I think would be a, a great uh, advancement for humankind uh, is uh, energy storage, and especially, you know, uh, electricity storage. That's coming from my uh, former uh, uh, occupation, you know, in the energy field. That's really something, that, uh, if we su- succeed in doing something that's uh, cheap enough, could really disrupt the, the whole uh, energy business. So obviously, I'm sure you're aware, a lot of people are working on that anyway, in all directions, and we probably need that, you know, this flurry of people <laughs> trying a lot of different things. But to me, if we were able to, uh, to have a breakthrough here, that would really, really change uh, the way we're doing things. Huge implications um, all, over the, all over the world. Energy storage. So maybe you'll have uh, some great energy storage options for all the solar energy that you're going to be capturing at your new fermentation facility that you'll be building soon, right? Typically. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, Mark, it's really great to talk to you. I really admire what you're doing and I'll be uh, rooting for your success as you come closer to bringing Arbium's products to market. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Oh, it's my pleasure, Mark. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you found use in this episode. If so, don't keep it to yourself. Please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And as always, we hope you will be in the business of doing good.